0: Mick Lavelle's here in the World Radio Gardening Studio. And uh, today, you know, we've, we've had a lot of questions in the past, Mick, about, you know, how do we treat herbaceous plants, you know, as we, I suppose, late winter, early spring is what we're looking at here, aren't we?
1: Yeah, I mean, traditionally, we used to be one of these things where uh, the over-obsession with tidiness in the garden was that uh, people would clear these out, usually around about late November, December, and leave the, um, the crowns bare to the elements. And while there is a certain amount of use in that, um, what t- tends to be the current way of thinking, and you see this at places like uh, the RHS uh, gardens now have adopted this, that they leave the the bits of the, uh, the plant which are upright, they leave those on there. So it's really a case of taking off anything which falls down onto the crowns. So if you've got you know the old leaves and things like that, which have started to rot down, you don't want those lying on the crowns themselves, because the crowns need to have air moving around them. They need to get a bit cold, because it's what actually holds them into that dormant phase. But the upright growth on there gives a little bit of structure in the garden. It's a great place for uh, not only for beneficial insects to hide, but also for some other insects and uh, seeds which are left there, which are good for overwintering birds. And, of course, they're, they're very important in the garden. And they, uh, they also give a little bit of protection against the worst of the winter weather uh, across the crowns in the garden anyway.
0: However, you could argue that because you've left all that, you, you can leave spaces for the slugs to overwinter. And you just mentioned pests. You could leave pests to overwinter. So Mm. in theory, you could argue against leaving it a bit, you know, the tops on and a bit of extra leaf around the base, couldn't you?
1: Well, this is precisely what the argument always was against it. It However, the the difficulty there is that all the things which eat the slugs and all the things which eat the pests have nothing to eat. And so, of course, they die out far more quickly. The predators always die out more quickly than the prey. And so all of the beneficial things in the garden tend to have um, a a knockback, which means that the pest uh, populations can actually recover more quickly, uh, unbridled as they are by any sort of predatory um, activity by their normal enemies.
0: So that's the, the thinking behind it, you reckon, Mick?
1: Well, it is, yeah. And, and actually, this, you may think, oh, this crackpot, what's he going have these hippie ideas? This is actually exactly what's done in glasshouses now commercially, say, for instance, things like pepper crops, cucumbers, tomatoes. But they actually introduce the pest. This might seem counterintuitive. They introduce it at a certain time of the year to make sure they then introduce the predator, to make sure that the uh, thing doesn't get out of control, because it has to. Like, you can't introduce the predator thinking, let's hope it finds something to eat. Because if there's nothing there for it to eat, it will just die out. And so this is a, a commercially acceptable way we do things.
0: Right. So when we get back to the herbaceous plants, which we've tidied up mm. and sorted out, is it a good time to start to think about feeding them? Do
1: you think? Certainly. Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of February, when you really want to be cutting everything back, is the time when we start to then think about maybe you know going over, pointing over the soil with a fork just to tidy it all up, get some air into it and it's an ideal time to give a feed what you don't want to do is give a feed which is going to be instantly all readily available in the soil, so the thing you want to have is something which is going to be a temperature release or a slow release. Uh, Ideal things, if you don't really want to worry about too much, are things like fish blood and bone, bone meal, uh, hoof and horn these sorts of things which you can put around in the soil and the bacterial action in the soil then breaks them down and gives a steady supply of nutrients up until around about April time, when by that time the the growth of the plants will really be exceeding the amount of uh, the boost of nutrients which have been given there and that's the time to start giving some of these um, maybe a liquid feed or some more instantly available food for them so that they will actually uh, really take it up quickly and grow.
0: If we've got a good compost heap, is it a good time to put compost around or does
1: that again encourage some of the slugs and pests to hide? It does. What I would say about compost is that you don't apply compost around herbaceous plants until such time as the the crowns have actually come into um, active growth. What's the reason for that? Well, you can get something called crown rot because if you get near the compost, particularly bear in mind, if you put compost down, things like blackbirds in the garden, Come around, they start to chuck it about and it can end up on top of the um, the crowns themselves. And so, what we want is we want the, the leaves to be up and away so there's no crown to rot. So, if you put the compost in amongst them, and garden compost or something which will break down, you don't want to use anything which is going to stay off for a long time. So, a garden compost or a mushroom compost, something like that, around the base of them will actually suppress weeds whilst uh, holding in moisture and nutrient in the, the soil and, and encouraging things like ground beetles, which eat slugs and other uh, soil borne pests. So you put that around the base of them, and then eventually, by the time it starts to rot down and reveal the soil underneath, the canopy will have closed up above them of herbaceous plants, and you will have good weed suppression for the rest of the season.
0: Is it a good time to also put uh, start to put stakes in, or is it a bit
1: too early, really? To I tend to think them? I tend to think it's a bit early, unless you've got something which is growing tall rather early in the season. Um, the thing with staking, there's no absolute time to do this. If you're thinking about chrysanthemums for instance, you would do those much later in the year and say for instance you might do some of the uh, the spring flowering things. Um, staking really, the, the, the golden rule of thumb of this is it should never be more than a third of the total height of the plant. It needs to go in around uh, so that the stakes are actually in the ground outside of the, the crown of the plant. And uh, There's all sorts of ways you can then do it. You can actually do an enclosure so they grow up in amongst and they are held there. You can actually do something where they grow through a cage or something like that. You can stake individual stems, so things like um, delphinium which have got very tall, heavy stems on them. You might have to stake those individually. The stakes should be hidden by the foliage, and that's why we never go more than a third of the way up on them.
0: So that's the secret. Absolutely. Watch the plant grow. Yep. Give it a bit of fertiliser and encouragement at this time of the year, or as yeah. we go towards spring and then look at staking.
1: Yeah, because the good thing with staking as well is that sometimes we might find that the growth is a little bit dense, the plants are probably coming up towards a time where it might need to be divided, and you can actually cut out a few of the stems at that time to make sure that you've got stronger, more active growth from those ones which remain. And so that's going to be made more difficult by a whole lot of stakes and supports and things around them at that time.
0: Do you have to stake all herbaceous plants, or if they're close enough, can they all grow together?
1: No, some of them will uh, will be perfectly uh, able to stand up on their own right. Really, the decision whether to stake on it depends partly upon the nature of the plant. So some of the very highly bred delphiniums and things like the back of the border plants really need staking because they aren't strong enough to support the weight of flower on them when they come to flower. Uh, other ones, really, it depends. In a windy situation, they might need to be staked. Otherwise, they might be perfectly well without it. Experience of your own uh, garden, your own plot, is a great sort of um, one to tell you this. But they, they always err on the side of caution because you can't stake them back up once they've fallen over. So if you're not sure, you know it's going to grow tall, uh, put, put some staking around the base of it. Always err on the side of caution. It doesn't need to be particularly elaborate or expensive. Homemade staking is invariably the best.